Hello, everyone, and welcome to a Tuesday edition of the MSP Initiative Live. Man, it's mid-October, and before you know it, it's going to be the holidays. You're going to be on, like, food coma mode, and then, like, you know, the end of the year will come, and 2022 will be in the book. And, like, everybody still thinks, like, we're still catching up for 2020 and 21. Nope. It's going to be 2023 before you know it. But lots of good things happening between now and the end of the year. Let me just do some quick housekeeping, and then we will, uh, you know, get on with the, the good stuff. So you'll find everything about us and MSP Initiative on mspinitiative.com. I know initiative sometimes hard to spell, but trust me, if you go to mspinitiative.com, this session and every other session we've ever done will be in podcast and video format. You will see our last remaining uh, community block party coming up uh, on November 9th. That's right. Uh, right around the corner in Orlando. Check it out. We're bringing in the All-American Redrex for a private concert for the MSP and IT community. So if you're in town for various conferences and you know uh, the names of, uh, definitely stop by, throw your name, register for a ticket, costs you absolutely nothing. And we'd love to see you there. Lastly, we're on uh, one of two remaining Channel Strong tours. So one's happening right now. Uh, the bus and the team are out in Vegas yesterday, Phoenix today, San Diego tomorrow, and Irvine, California on Thursday to close out the week. The last tour will be at the very end of November and like first couple of days of December. will be all through Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Tampa, Orlando, and then a last stop in Atlanta. So if you're in any one of those areas, you can literally just jump in your car, pop out, grab a sandwich, a beer, learn a few things, talk to your peers in the area. No boats, planes, or trains needed. So that is the housekeeping. I like to welcome to the show, not Eric Torres, like it says on there. I'll, I'll let him uh, give you uh, his uh, his story. But uh, I've known this gentleman for a very long time. He's been in, I call it the sandbox for a while. You've, you've probably seen him uh, with a few separate companies, uh, but right now uh, with ScalePad. Uh, so Luis, go ahead and uh, for anyone who hasn't, run into you before. Uh, why don't you give him a little bit of your story? Well, thanks, George. Good to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. Uh, I realize we, we did a bait and switch on you here. Um, just covering for Eric, he had a, a couple of uh, commitments that he couldn't um, couldn't change over, but uh, but thanks for letting me be on. Uh, yeah, so, you know, I've, I've been primarily an MSP. I think that's sort of where I come from. I, I In all the roles I've had, I always feel like I'm an MSP advocate and uh, wearing the MSP hat, uh, certainly. And so, you know, 16 plus years of having an MSP, which I sold earlier this year to, um, to an outfit here in, in Canada called Fully Managed. So now in a bit of that transition, but uh, I've been working in or around SaaS since uh, 2013 when I started my own platform that sold to IT Glue. That's how I came to be at IT Glue for a few years, then went to Enable for about a year and a half during the pandemic and um, jumped over to ScalePad about a year ago, last uh, September 2021. And here we are doing the good work at ScalePad and trying to bring some of our products and functionality, efficiency and revenue generating capabilities to MSPs everywhere. <laughs> Awesome. So let's zoom out. I actually was just over in the UK uh, at the end of the last week with our good friends from the network group. Um, it was nice to see those guys, you know, I hadn't been over in the UK for, for some time, but they're definitely, definitely, definitely uh, talking about, you know, their concerns coming up here in the 2023 and the economy and the recession and everything comes along with that. I assume, you know, you're hearing that up in Canada. We're surely hearing it down here in the States. 
what what you know what's the vibe what are you hearing about that well uh, certainly i think uh the financial gurus and the people on the airwaves are starting to talk about you know the the true recession potentially coming and i, I think it's important to to kind of look at the past to see how some of the different types of businesses that we support uh, as msps you know react in situations like that so I, I think it's good to know it's good to have these conversations with uh with clients to be like hey you know i realize a recession is coming along uh you know, what are some of your plans? You know, how will this inhibit your growth? And uh, and I think being prepared for that is is key. But I think the pandemic showed us a, a bit of the knee-jerk reaction uh, to, to a recession um, in the sense that, you know, what you see happen is some businesses immediately stop their spending sort of as a precautionary measure. Uh, but, you know, business has to continue. And so how are MSPs supposed to deal with this? Um, certainly, and a, a self-serving comment is a skill pad, for example, one of the things we saw during the pandemic is people double down on doing some of the warranty marketplace stuff. And so rather than replacing hardware at a much larger cost, if it was still functional and doing this job, they could at least extend the coverage and be protected and give those clients that peace of mind. So we're, we're seeing a little bit of that and having that option as an MSP to be like, yeah, we don't need you to replace this right away if we can protect it for another year, two years while we sort of we get out of the tail end of the recession, then that's great. I think it gives clients a, a little bit of choice and flexibility in how they manage a bit of that um, equipment hardware expense which is always daunting to to look at i mean i for whatever it's worth i don't think i mean i still know that people are having a hard time getting equipment i mean there's just constant <laughs> still back ordering yeah, and yeah, like supply chain yeah. yeah i mean people are like oh out of stock don't know don't have a date we'll let you know and then like you're literally riding on a guess um yeah. i don't know why that hasn't you know caught up since things kind of reopened again but it seems to be you know consistent in certain categories, especially like in server infrastructure and hardware, stuff like that. Um, and networking yeah, I mean, was was equally troubling because, you know, uh, now it's, I think, alleviated a tiny bit. But back in like February, March, we were placing orders that were like had a, a 10 month ETA. And so like you can't work with within those time frames for the most part. And clients certainly never give you the that kind of like uh, upfront planning uh, for you to deal with that. So it's it makes it, I think, troublesome down the line for MSPs as well, no doubt. 100%. You, you know, you did a presentation a few times. I mean, before you sold your MSP where, you know, you were pretty much running an MSP on like two people uh, and a lot of automation, right? I think, uh, what was the presentation? How to run a $1.2 million MSP with two people or something that's like that? That's the one. Yeah, that's the one. That was my talk track for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, we we went, uh, I had I had the unique uh, opportunity that uh, I had sold my MSP one time before, and 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 that was back in 2011. And I left that situation. It was fully managed again. So the second transaction was fully managed. But um, the first time around, one of the things that happened during that year transition was that uh, it forced me uh, to to let go of all the break fix type of work that I had and truly transition to pure MSP recurring revenue play. And I think that is one of the areas in particular where a lot of MSPs struggle um, in, in trying to drive that recurring revenue and sort of breaking through the glass ceiling of how much they can earn in their business and whatnot. Uh, and so what I found is when I went back on my own in uh, I guess 2012, late 2012 or so, um, it was 
only recurring revenue clients. And at that point, we were I was able to sort of get really picky with how we went forward with new clients. And we kind of just did not do any break fix at all. And I think that was sort of the, the early stages of being able to grow the business to that number um, with, with my first business partner, Simon, who came on board in 2013. Now, I will say also, uh, I think one of the misconceptions is that you can maybe do that with um, if you're a single owner and you hire people uh, it's not the same as having two business owners that are putting in you know occasionally the 14 16 hour days to, to make that work and to drive those projects and to do some of that stuff and so I think the growth was certainly enabled by having two owner operators that were sort of digging in really deep on on the work so yeah I you know I, I there definitely is the idea that you know I've heard some people say, hey, we might cut down the four-day weeks instead of five days for people to conserve revenue or expenses. I've heard some people say, hey, we may take on project-based work that we didn't normally take on before just because we don't know what next year is going to look like. And if we can kind of stack that stuff a little bit going into the end of the year, beginning of next year, kind of can maybe cushion against you know the unexpected. Um, there's definitely the other side, which is hey, you know, internal IT for slightly larger companies are maybe got to be cut down a little bit, which open up the door for the managed services, you know, community, right? Because they can either do co-manage or augment the internal IT department, or, you know, maybe even that turns into a fully managed account um, because, you know, the internal IT staff kind of, you know, went away, uh, at least for a little while. So, you know, understanding what you are willing to do and not willing to do, I feel like some people may be, you know, we've been hard fought at, hey, don't go underneath of your standard. You know, do you feel like people may, you know, kind of flex a little bit because they're worried about, you know, net new revenue? You know, I, it's this is a great question because I feel like that is the number one area that gets MSPs in trouble is like if they have been defining and curating a, a single offering, for example, and they're aiming to try and get all their customers on the one thing, single plan, where everybody is is on the same offering, paying the same, you know, per seat cost and so on. I think it it's a slide back uh, to start to offer, you know, all these piecemeal um, options in the monthly invoice, because I think it creates operational inefficiency for the MSP to manage. Um, not only that, but I think clients are, are very poor judges of the things that they need in their environment in most cases. So when you give them the option of saving money on something, I think the message that we send implicitly is, we think you don't need this. And so it's okay to, to opt out of it. Uh, and we're seeing obviously the, the shift with cybersecurity where a lot of these things are really not optional anymore. And compound to that, the problem that we've had in increasing our prices to really help support the, the changes necessary to the MSP stack to drive the cybersecurity initiatives and whatnot. And you see where it starts to become a problem. One of the interesting stats that we use uh, at Scalepad is that um, we, we grabbed it from one of Paul Dipple's uh, webinars. I think he talks about 25% of MSPs are actually losing money uh, on a on a yearly basis, and this is because they're they're highly inefficient potentially and just not able to to get the right price for the stack. And so, um, but who am I to say that you should not you know provide flexibility to your clients? Uh, but I think you should think about the psychology of that. And I think some people are convinced that you know good, better, best is definitely the way to go. Uh, but I think the the academy of MSP teachings um, shows otherwise that single offering, single plan is drives operational maturity and you get to deliver everything that your client needs at all times and so yeah um, I, I i agree i definitely like i think one of the major issues when you start kind of you know breaking out all these other sub offerings is 
kind of managing the billing, right? Like some of the margins are so low on some of this stuff that if you're not getting paid timely, you're basically losing money just getting paid late (laughs) is the best way to say it. So I think that, you know, I know there's a lot of conversation around trying to streamline billing and automate billing. And, but when you start creating all these wrinkles, I think that becomes a lot harder to keep up with. Yeah. Well, um, one of the things in that presentation you talked about uh, the nine tricks to building a $1.2 million MSP with a staff of two is actually the, the accounts receivable component. Very early in our journey, uh, one of the requirements to signing a contract was ACH. And, and we gave no option other than to have ACH on file. And this got rid of a lot of those sort of, you know, CD um, options that clients would have to delay a check or, or pay right around net 30 or maybe, you know, stretch it to net 40, net 45, because ultimately we're not banks. And I just, that was never part of the, the plan. And so we got very, very crisp with that in the contract language. And we just never offered that, that capability. So did you, did you automatically pull or did you, like that was that just hey on the first of the month I'm going to automatically pull from your account this amount no question, hundred percent yeah and so obviously with the ability to um, adjust quantities based on staff prorations you know they they hired a couple people or lost a couple of people we go both up or down as necessary in that invoicing and all that invoicing was you know automatic uh, in the beginning we used you know quickbooks and connect booster later on we moved to to zoho and zoho had its own built-in platform for all of that so um but highly i highly automated because who likes doing you know billing reconciliation at the end of the month and so uh that's definitely a, a two thumbs down for me and so once we put that pretty much on autopilot having the ach in place and in canada we call it eft um was a game changer because we don't we don't touch anything at month end other than to adjust uh, staff quantities on the invoice you know as they change and so that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, hundred percent. How how did you did you do it based on like the AD or Office three sixty five user or how did you true up like when they cut someone or added someone? Yeah, so at the very beginning, I think AD can be tricky uh, because sometimes you have role accounts, sometimes you have, you know, contractors, sometimes you have you, you people that sort of muddy the waters a bit. So we've always managed that piece manually to start. And then we just stay on top of the changes, um, you know, every 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 time they change. Um, I realize that sometimes you might make a change in flight and, and not be able to update the invoice right away. Uh, but because we're using sort of cloud-based systems and stuff like that, it's always really easy to make the changes. And we, every couple months, we go back and we make sure that nothing's offside too much. Uh, and if there were any changes or, or new hires or things that we missed or that we didn't add, we'll just go ahead and update those. Um, never retroactively charging clients for those, of course. It's our mistake. But um, but that's been the, the process so far and it's been working for us. Yeah, 100%. Let's talk to us about what is ScalePad? I know like the name changed somewhere along the line. Yeah. Like if somebody's seen you guys for the first time in the window, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the story? What are we looking at? Sure. Yeah. So I think a little context is good. Uh, obviously we got our start as Warranty Master. A lot of people are familiar with that name um, as the leader in, in warranty lookups and warranty um you know, reporting uh, of your entire fleet because we do it across workstations, servers, Apple, and network devices, uh, Cisco, SmartNet, Meraki, you name it. Um, and so the the platform had been growing and evolving quite a bit over the last few years to include now software asset management, uh, the warranty marketplace of adding external uh, extended warranties to devices and all that stuff. And I think Warranty Master started to lose a bit of its um, 
I guess, uh, uh, specificity because uh, it was no longer just that. And so at that point, the company, about 20, October 2020, rebranded to ScalePad with the, the moniker, meaning, you know, we want to help MSPs scale their business. Uh, and one of the things that uh, the uh, Lifecycle Manager, which is the current name of the product, and I'll get to that in a second, does, is it provides a really interesting opportunity uh, number, uh, you know, sales opportunity number based on all the warranties uh, or status of devices that are expired or could use a replacement uh, or could use a warranty extension. And so um, the revenue, the average revenue opportunity across the majority of MSPs is, is pretty staggering. And so as Scalepad evolved, we acquired Backup Radar in October, in November of 2021. And now we had two products. And so we had the challenge of like, how do we build a, a, a multi-brand or multi-product company? And so we elevated Scalepad to be the, the company brand and we renamed um, the product to Lifecycle Manager, which made a, a, a lot more sense for what it does. And Lifecycle Manager is is really what was used to be Warranty Master and has evolved to be this product that really covers uh, the entire lifecycle of the asset from you know purchase and tracking. We connect to PSA, RMM documentation, and a lot of your other tools and services that you have in your stack to bring data in. We analyze it for insights. We provide reports on hardware, on software, on all the opportunities that exist to replace assets or to extend warranties. Um, and then sort of manage that also with the backup insights. So now we also produce backup insights from Backup Radar right in Lifecycle Manager to give you a heads up for VCIOs. And one of our recent releases, of course, uh, just this week um, on October 12th was, uh, or last week on October 12th, uh, the days just merge into each other, is our scorecards and roadmaps feature. And so this is now even giving more functionality to, to the account manager or VCIO function to have those uh, strategic planning meeting conversations with clients and have a lot of the data that is uh, coming into these be mostly automated um, from the insights that we're already leveraging in Lifecycle Manager. So a lot of stuff has happened over the last little while. Backup Radar continues to evolve as well. Uh, we've been really, really pleasantly surprised with how much uh, partners love Backup Radar and how much it abstracts the reporting across their, their multiple platforms. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, you would, you would hope at least the vision was Hey, if you just buy one solution, then it's one one plan to fit them all. But I think realistically, not it doesn't always work that way. So backup radar kind of like covers the gamut, right? Like, you know, you can pull all that stuff into one place and then at least get reporting across multiple vendors. Um, so that's cool. The the lifecycle manager part. So how do the warranties work? Like if I have a Dell or an HP or whatever it is, right? Is it like a third party solution? And then like, how do you engage if you need to actually use it? Yeah, so there's two components. One is uh, the procurement piece and one is the service piece. The procurement, the part I think is one of the areas that has been most painful for MSPs because like, uh, if you are an MSP and you've had to buy an extended warranty after the initial purchase of the device, you know how painful this is. You have a ton of back and forth with the vendor or the distributor, and you got to do this multiple times for multiple devices. And if you have a customer with a fleet where they may not be on all Dell or all HP or all Lenovo, then you're dealing with different email streams for different types of things. So we kind of removed a lot of that pain and make it really easy to just find the assets that need a warranty replacement, you know, three clicks to check out and buy the warranties on a one or three year basis uh, right inside the app. Um, for servers and network devices, we offer even a couple of different SLAs. So you can do a four hour SLA or you can do a 24 hour SLA. And for servers and workstations, those are actually on site with parts 
uh, SLAs, which are delivered through the same network of vendors that the same tier one uh, OEMs are using. So the people that Dell and Lenovo and HP are using are the same folks that we're using behind the scenes to deliver that service as well. And we deliver it in multiple countries, not just the US and Canada, but also in Europe, Australia, New Zealand, and we have coverage um, in several countries. So all that stuff's in the KB. Um, now, let's say you need service. We actually give you a simple sort of form online to go say, hey, yeah, this device needs warranty. We actually communicate with the MSP on this, um, at which point the MSP can nominate an on-site contact for the service provider to sort of continue the process with them directly. Let's say the MSP is remote. They don't work with that client in that city necessarily, but they can still sort of nominate the on-site contact for the service provider to, to reach out to and uh, do the, the replacement of the asset or the repair of the asset, whatever is required. Um, so yeah, I think a, a lot of time savings there, uh, but making it really easy. And one of the things we're seeing is the margin that MSPs, uh, it's very competitive pricing to the OEM warranties. And so the MSPs can, can make a lot of revenue from uh, the warranty sales themselves. In fact, the majority of partners are paying multiple times over uh, for scale pad products uh, just by you know a few warranties that they might sell. And so um, as the impending recession gets closer, you know, consider having a look at this. We have a free edition of our product um, of Lifecycle Manager. So you can go in, plug in all your integrations and start to see a lot of the insights and data. And from there, if you want to actually purchase a warranty, then you'll you'll upgrade to our pro plan. But uh, it gives you the option to see what's going on across your clients, get an insight into the DMI score, which is something we launched about a year ago, uh, Digital Maturity Index. So based on all these um, insights or status of the asset and warranty and age, uh, et cetera, et cetera, we pr provide sort of a, a credit score for the assets inside the network. That would, so I guess you can report all of this, walk into your customer's office and say, here's a list of all your stuff. You can see the age, you can see the warranty status. Here's your credit score. And yeah, we need to fix some of this or you need to pay us more to deal with the yeah. pain, in, pain in the ass tax, I call it, of doing <laughs> the warranty stuff, which quite frankly, at this point, I mean, back before it was a problem, I would just say, hey, you're out of warranty repair is, you're buying a new one, just replace the whole unit. Yeah. I'm not so sure that can be the answer today. I think it's a little bit harder to do that. Yeah, and I think there's there's also uh, an interesting shift in in the conscientiousness of businesses about just you know flat out replacing devices that might still be functional or working, and and I think being able to keep devices a little bit longer, but not introduce additional risk into the business is more top of mind. I think MSPs are having better conversations where that's concerned for sure. But you mentioned the reports, and and the harder reports is probably the number one thing that our partners love because a you can schedule them to go out straight to clients, um, and so we, we've seen stories from partners where they just automate the reports to the client and the client's telling me, hey, it looks like we have a couple of devices that uh, have warranties expiring. Let's go ahead and renew those or replace them or what have you. And so the clients are actually driving the initiatives, which is great. Um, with the new scorecards feature, we also you know, publish the DMI score and the MSP can go through and provide their commentary on the different areas that are need to, needing some strategic initiatives. Um, some of these are automated from the insights that we get in the platform already, but you can also provide some of your custom areas for initiatives, you know, the typical customer. You can put in has, here, yeah. still has not turned on MFA, right? <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Or, you know, it's still running uh, Windows XP on a, a 
machine that runs a CNC cutting machine on the manufacturing floor, things like that. There's so many edge cases where you need a little bit of customization uh, capability in the scorecard. And so that's one of the things yeah, we delivered about that as well. But that, that absolutely happens, by the way. That stuff's yeah. absolutely still out there. Well, and I think MSPs in general, we, we love to say, uh, we love to drive um, uh, within the context of standardization, you know, I think we're always striving for that. The industry certainly pushes a ton of standardization on MSPs. Um, but but there are edge cases and there are situations where, you know, owners really push back on the inconvenience of turning on MFA and, and it takes you literally years to get them, you know, moved over because you don't uh, necessarily want to fall out of favor with them by by forcing them to do certain things. Um, and so I, I get that there's uh, little things that introduce changes to or non-standardization. And the backups is another example. You know, you ingest a new client and they come with their own backup platform. And I think I understand that the desires to immediately move them onto your standard, you know, stack product. Um, but that may not be possible. They may have compliance or reporting or historical retention requirements and need to keep a couple platforms. You may, heck, as an MSP, decide you're going to switch backup platforms. And now you have a multi-year of de de dealing with two or three different platforms as you make that transition. And so backup radar is helping abstract all of that so you can centralize the reporting. And not only that, but also plug into multiple platforms and manage all the ticketing uh, with your PSA in one place. So we're seeing a ton of that efficiency already paying dividends for MSPs, for sure. That's awesome. I, it definitely should take, actually, Bruce jumped in here and said, can vouch for the ease of generating quotes for clients. It only takes a few minutes to get a quote generated purchase via ScalePad. As a comparison, as a comparison, I spend way more time than that if I'm forced to order through a distributor. Yeah. So well, I, I, I remember creating the Excel spreadsheet, going to the RMM, pulling out the serial number, figuring out the yeah. date of the free. And then like, yeah, two hours into this one page Excel report, you know, you're, you're like, what am I doing with my yeah. time? Well, thanks for the question, Bruce. And I, I think the other piece, um, some of the vision that drove uh, some of the initiatives capability and, and proposals in ScalePad and Lifecycle Manager was this idea of democratizing the conversation, the strategic conversation with clients. Cause I, I find that, in the majority of MSPs, you know, the average MSP is uh, seven people, according to Jay McBain. Um, and in that size of MSP, you typically have the owners processing the quotes. And so even if you have, you know, tier L2 or, or L3 techs that are having, you know, good strategic conversations, you still have this bottleneck of the owner running the quoting process effectively. Um, and so what we wanted to do is provide a little bit of a, of a launch pad for having strategic initiative conversation. It'd be like, hey, it looks like there's three devices that, that could be replaced and you can configure the settings for what your typical workstation replacement cost is. And you can provide a little bit of that high level conversation for, for budgetary approval. That doesn't have to be a full on quote because you still have to go find the individual machines and all this stuff and deal with the distributors later. But at least the approval stage of the process with the client can be made a lot easier than to, you know, hey, we'll get you a quote next week and then you have to go and do a bunch of work behind the scenes to even have that conversation in the first place. So, so, so when you, let's say you do buy the warranty through your platform, does that go back in and update the date in the doc or the, RM, or the PSA system or how does that work to track it? Yes, sir. So uh, we'll, 
um, we actually dedupe all the uh, warranty data from assets across the multiple sources. And of course, if, if we are getting information from a vendor, uh, let's say the OEM warranty of that workstation was one year, and then you bought a scale pad or lifecycle manager warranty extension on that, we'll actually push that warranty update to all your platforms because we know that that warranty is now extended and that device is covered for longer. Uh, in the case where we can write back the warranty, uh, places like IT Glue or ConnectWise or uh, Autotask will write that warranty information back to those places as well. Um, some RMM platforms also let us write warranty back. Um, I, I don't have the list off the top of my head, but some of them don't. And so you obviously rely on PSA or documentation typically to pull that information. But uh, and and of yeah. course, ScalePad reports or lifecycle manager reports. So what's included in the free tier versus what do you have to pay for to get to the, like the next level? So this has been an evolution as well. I think um, we wanted to provide something with some kind of value. And so in the free edition, uh, and I'll, I'll go search for a link and I'll drop it in the chat in a minute, but in the free edition, you can get a lot of the same insights that you get uh, on a pro plan. Uh, you just can't see any of the actual warranty dates. Um, you can't purchase warranties on a free edition. You'll have to upgrade to pro for that. Um, also software uh, asset management is not included in that uh, free edition, but you can get a lot of the insights DMI and start to look at that type of conversation. And for things like scorecards and roadmaps, which is the feature that just came out, you can nominate up to one client um, that you want to get this functionality for. So if you want to you know, give it a try and see the, the full front to back process of doing that strategic planning or conversation, you can do that for uh, up to three clients. So you can switch the client that you nominate in the platform up to up to three times and you can do it with three different clients. So we wanted to give some value and, and show the capabilities there for sure. That's awesome. So super like Swiss Army knife approach, right? To cover a lot of different things. Time saver, it sounds like, you know, definitely on the planning to have the conversation with your customer, hopefully quarterly or whatever that interval is. And it sounds like the warranty thing sounds like it could be a profit center because I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of people, I feel like lose track of the whole warranty story, um, to be honest. Yeah, well, I, I mean, we use it as a bellwether for replacing hardware. Um, but but I'll be honest, you know, a lot of customers I've had over the years are very anti-warranty altogether. Uh, and so we don't give them options for things like servers or network devices. Those are, are critically important because they affect multiple people at, at any given time. But I get that workstations, uh, maybe not in the supply chain uh, of today, but workstations are generally replaceable or consumable devices. So, you know, when clients uh, oppose those, we, we're not too concerned about it. But um, certainly servers, network devices, and, and other devices of that ilk, uh, it's important you know, for us yeah. to deliver a service that we can uh, rely on too. So um, I like that. I think it's, uh, you know, clients are going to vary in their approach to that as well and having the flexibility. So, so how do you discover, I mean, is there an agent that you install on, on, or do you just pull from the PSA RMM list or how do you discover the information? Yeah. So the PSA RMM documentation stack of the MSP is what we plug into because uh, those places are what have the serial numbers. Certainly RMM has that information. You can plug in multiple integrations. Um, we've seen, especially in this MNA uh, age, day and age that we have uh, parent organizations uh, with MSPs that are using multiple platforms and uh, Lifecycle Manager allows them to abstract that as well because you can plug into multiple RMMs and bring in all the data and have all the clients sort of um, 
separate but together in a way. And so we pull the serial numbers from our MEM documentation, PSA, wherever we can find them. We do the dedupe and then we do all the, the magic lookup and stuff behind the scenes, at least for the warranty lookup piece. But we're also doing all the insights of like age and uh, warranty status and providing a bit of that DMI piece. Is that, is that the same way the software inventory part works? Yeah, precisely. So um, we pull all the software records from RMM primarily, uh, and then we're maintaining our own library of what is the current version of, of everything that's available in the estate of that MSP. Um, one of the things we've actually found is um, people have often complained that some RMM software will occasionally report that the device is, is properly patched, you know, for the latest Windows uh, feature release, for example, but it's not. Um, and we're able to, or that it ran the update, but didn't, or something failed and it's still reporting that it succeeded. And so they end up uh, with Windows feature releases or versions that are no longer supported, which of course can be challenging for many number of reasons but we have actually had msps tell us yeah uh, scalepad or lifecycle manager was the tool that told us that these devices were not on supported versions of windows where our rmm was actually not reporting on that um the other piece is that we, we are focused on specifically raising that kind of insight where i think a lot of people do, you know get into rmm just to do a couple of automation things or to do some of the remote control stuff. And they are not tapping into, you know, 90 or 80% of the functionality of their RMM. But um, Lifecycle Manager is specifically designed to raise that kind of insight and opportunity for MSPs. That's awesome. So a few people join here live on the call. I'm going to give everybody a chance to jump in and just chat a little bit. If of you're, course. you're being talkative today, feel free to unmute and chime in. But, um, you know, zooming out, guys. I mean, I would love to hear what you guys are doing on, uh, are you doing device as a service, especially when it comes to the core stuff, right? The networking gear, you know, like backup server stuff that's not already in the cloud or like, how are you guys handling that? I know some people on the lower end try and, you know, go with the like low end style NAS devices, but I think that, you know, there's, I guess there's a place for those, right? But generally speaking on the core stuff, you know, I know people have had a hard time getting a hold of, you know, like Luis was saying earlier, switches and you know, you know, firewalls and access points, and hopefully some of that stuff's cleared up just a little bit. But be curious to hear, you know, what you guys are doing. And now I love to pick on my my buddy Matthew Fox over there, which on the side's probably doing these cool emoji keyboards that he likes to make for make for people. But uh, what are you guys doing out there? Are you are you selling it? Are you warrantying it? Are you offering it as a service as part of the monthly recurring? What's what's the plan? Or maybe everything in between. Quiet today. I think I scared people. I'll give you my answer to get the sure. conversation started. Um, yeah. You know, like many, I think there was uh, a lot of buzz around hardware as a service or devices as a service a little while back, and uh, we we did look at it in earnest. You know, we even talked to our bank and tried to figure out some kind of leasing arrangement because in most of those scenarios, we'd be leasing the equipment. We didn't want to have you know an upfront um, capital expense to support this and and have that risk potentially, but. Um, I'll be honest, in my opinion, uh, for our business, it was more trouble than it was worth uh, to do that. And, and in most cases, uh, clients were perfectly fine just buying their own equipment or leasing their own equipment and uh, just having us take care of, you know, the actual procurement and everything else. So uh, hmm. we didn't go down the, the path of hardware or devices as a service, but, uh, you know, of course, mileage varies. Well, I mean, so when you when you went back to do that, was it because when you lease something or sell something to the end customer, it's their credit 
individually rather than you having to like bear the umbrella for everyone else? Was that the, you know, the kind of the sticking point or how did that work? Yeah, I think, you know, when you start to look at programs like these, you often have the the mindset or the goal of, of solving one client's initial problem. And because MSPs have this uh, tendency of, of like jumping into a service when one client requires it, uh, but not necessarily planning for, okay, what happens when all 50 or 75 of our clients are doing this? You know, can we actually carry the, the debt risk uh, of like leasing for potentially a thousand devices out there if we were doing hardware as a service for everybody? Um, and as a two-person company at the time, we just decided that was not of interest to us. Obviously, it, again, mileage varies for different people, but that was kind of the thinking back then. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting as the manufacturers are starting to roll out monthly programs, you know, under a term, right? Three year, two year, one year, whatever. Like even Microsoft started rolling out it as a service, you know, kind of a device option for like surface equipment, for example. It seems like a lot of the manufacturers have something, right? Uh, you know, of this ilk. Uh, I just don't know how closely the MSP has looked at it because largely, you know, it's kind of geared for the manufacturer to do business directly with the end customer. And I know that over the years, that's kind of been a, you know, kind of sticking point, right? The mm -hmm. partner's like, hey, I brought this end customer to the table. There's a larger program here. Stop trying to <laughs> over, you know, sell around me, right? Kind of thing. So I, well, I think from an MSP, that may be mm -hmm. why that doesn't get mileage. And there's certainly, you know, the smaller MSPs have no weight to throw around in that conversation with the vendors. And so I think that that also compounds the issue of like, you want to do this, but you won't get the time of day from the vendor necessarily to support your initiative of starting with the one 10 device client and, and growing from there. Other, other vendors are very much uh, channel focused and and they, they know that that sell through growth is going to come from starting with the 10 person uh, organization downstream. But uh, I don't think everybody necessarily has that line of sight yeah 100 percent. how you doing today darren even even darren doing 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 there. well doing well just uh keeping busy yeah awesome so i uh, hopefully you're going to be connecting with the guys tomorrow in san diego area i am going to yes i am i am going to do that so no, i was going to say don't get too busy while they're in town I, I mean, I have to make priorities for certain things, right? And that's got to be one of those. Well, that and Chick-fil-A. Without, right? without, you, without you there, I mean, come on. <laughs> well, you know. well I, ha I have a question for the group, yeah. you know, because uh, we're – October is practically over. We're a couple months from the end of the year. I'm curious what, what everybody is thinking or planning uh, as their sort of key initiatives or, or plans or, or challenges that they're trying to solve in 2023. I'm curious to hear from the group. First thing that comes to my mind is make sure everybody's bills are paid up because I'm worried about them not paying their bills in 2023. I don't know. That's a reflex. I think that's what I think. About. Yeah. Got to make sure you got uh, that. You can bankroll that to Super Bowl tickets, right? So. Well, hold on, hold on. Super, I mean, if my team gets to the Super Bowl, everything's on hold. I got to go to which, hey, I have a shot. I mean, I'm undefeated so far. So I'm going to have yeah. to roll with that. Darren, what's your what's your priorities from now to the end of the year, buddy? Other than, you know, Chick Fil A and bus tour. I'm not I'm not I'm not thinking that far ahead right now, guys. Sorry, just <laughs> I'm still I'm still in 2022, so I'm not right. gonna nothing nothing comes to mind as of yet. But yeah, I'm I'm thinking next year is going to be 
pretty nasty. So, uh, yeah, I should, uh, yeah. prepare well, for that as much as possible. That, that's fair, Darren. And, and somewhat unsurprising if I'll, if I'll be honest again, you know, average MSP is seven people and at the seven person size of business, um, most MSPs are still doing a lot of the multi-hat uh, type of things. The owners are doing accounting and HR and payroll and uh, sales and tier three, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think um, the, the, the mountain that it feels like to move the strategic conversation with clients is often uh, seen as a daunting process. So that's kind of um, selfishly what Scalepad is trying to address is helping make easier, make it easier for MSPs to have those strategic conversations because it's it's clearly we're distracted by some by turning the the gears on some of the reactive technical problems. So I, I get the challenge. Hundred percent. That is definitely true. Lots of hats are worn over here. So. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Then I feel like the hats only get worse. But I mean, oh, you could also outsource some of it if that's possible. But yeah, bookkeepers only as good as the, having the bills in hand, right? That is very <laughs> true. Bruce Everybody Fox. else is so quiet. Uh, yeah, let, let's I, pick on someone. I always like to pick on Matthew Fox, but I already picked on him. He must be busy on, underneath the hood somewhere. What about Bruce? Bruce, you chimed in earlier. You let you're using ScalePad already. Yeah, yeah, it's been a great product. Are right, you? Thanks, sounds like you've used the warranty lifecycle part of it. Have you kind of, you know, stumbled into the other pieces yet, or or no? No, we haven't done that. So what we we're part of a consortium, um, MSP, and so I had to really ramp down the subscription that we have because of all the assets that we got. So no, I use it mainly for the warranties, but it has been an awesome product for doing the warranties. I mean, it just makes it so drop dropped it simple. Like for example, I just went in and pulled the warranty that I got to prep for a meeting. It, it took me two minutes to pull the quote and get it generated. And I've got a PDF ready to give to the client. Wow. I can, I can tell you how many times, you know, I went to Dell and then I put a request into the account manager and like a week later, I finally got the quote. And then I'm like, Oh, by the way, I need you to get these other ones. And like another week later, I got the other ones. Yeah. And then Actually, this this the, the the only thing that really sucks about it is when a server is not supported. So sometimes there's it's called lower end, you know, air quotes lower end servers where the the motherboard's not supported. It's a desktop unit. And I hate it when that happens because this actually this very same server that I pulled a quote for it comes in and out of that. And last year I couldn't renew the warranty on this via ScalePad. I had to go out and get a quote from Lenovo for it. It literally, I'm not joking. It took me eight months because just all the running around mm. was misbilled. I had to get a credit. Then I had to go through all those games. It, horrendous. Wow. Well, eight I can months. tell you, Bruce, uh, we, we are definitely uh, adding more and more mo model support in the platform um, in the last few months because uh, I think there was the, the number of models that exist are in the hundreds of thousands. I'm not even joking when I say that number. And so getting support for all these models also depends heavily on whether the service providers will will be able to support parts. And, you know, one of the things that's challenging, for instance, we, we get a lot of requests. Like, oh, can you please support Microsoft Surface? Uh, but these devices have a repairability score of like minus 10 in most cases. And so our service providers hate supporting that. And so we had to take those off of uh, the supported list, for example. Uh, so there are little edge cases and challenges of that nature, but we're We've definitely been increasing the, the support model hardware uh, that's out I feel there. like Microsoft just replaces them. 
I don't like I'm I don't think I've ever seen a surface repaired. I think they just replaced it. Yeah. yeah. I, I have a I have a MSP operations question for you. When you were when you were running your MSP, um what metric did you use for determining the noise and how much noise has been generated by a client? And then what thresholds did you put on that for those parameters to go out and soften the noise? Well, that's a great yeah. Uh, so I think there's there's probably a few numbers out there uh, that are sort of bellwethers for uh, noise meters. Um, one of those is 0.5 tickets per user per month uh, is um, best in class. Uh, anything more than that, you should be looking at, you know, what's creating the noise, what's creating the tickets. Um, I think uh, addressing root cause issues is often the thing that, that drives down the, the ticket noise. Um, and it certainly was in our case, you know, whether we could uh, provide self-serve options. In the beginning stages of my MSP, a lot of the stuff we were doing was was Mac. Uh, when I brought on my, my first business partner, he was 100% Windows guy. And so we kind of decided we wanted to be platform agnostic right at that stage. And so we, we would do whatever was needed for either platform. Um, but a lot of it was built on automation. So if people needed software, uh, they could go into the little self-service app and install it themselves because the tool would give them that capability to do that instead of creating a ticket for me to go and manually you know install the software um and so i think uh those investments early investments in areas like that actually paid a ton of dividends as you start to grow the fleet and you have you know we were supporting uh i want to say about 800 people uh between the two of us um right around the point where we brought on a third person and so uh i think the average msp is maybe 200 or so people per tech um and so certainly we were we were driving some higher numbers uh there for sure yeah so you had leverage of 400 to one on a tech yeah that's that's way higher yeah i mean automation's king but the the other thing you should be doing i know there's people out there that like specialize in this thing is like your profitability per account per month, right? Or per quarter per year, right? Because I mean, obviously the time calculation Luis just mentioned kind of factors into that. But then like, once you've passed your labor part, which is, you know, where you're going to make most of your money. Also, obviously, you know, on all of the downstream products that you may be bundling into the account, right? Like, you know, you work backwards. I know Luis mentioned Paul Dipple, right? He always said 20% net is best in class, right? So if you start looking at your profitability per account, you know, and you start, if you're getting close to being no profitability to the account, then you start to question, is it a good account? But, you know, like you need to have like a median profitability score, you know, per account and then work backwards from that. So um, you should probably be looking at, I don't know if the PSAs easily pump that out or if there's third party products, I know for sure definitely are out there that do this. They literally yeah. pull all that data out and then begin to show you your actual math at the account by account level. So, yeah, I mean, back to, hey, you know, not doing the break fix guys because they weren't profitable, although some people say that they're profitable and I guess each their own. I mean, on the managed services accounts, right, because it's flat rated, you know, it's kind of on you and your team to make sure that you kind of stay above above the fold or else you're working for free.
Yeah, a, a couple comments. Uh, great points, George. Uh, one, uh, there's a platform that that I know a few MSPs are using, and I you have to be careful in bringing tools onto the business because I think it's important to have the management layer that can actually deal with with addressing you know the the challenges that you discover. Um, but one is called Cognition 360, which definitely has uh, pulls out all that operational data from your PSA. I'll, I'll stick it in the chat. I've heard a number of partners mention this this app, and uh, it's worthwhile. Uh, having a look. But the other thing I'll say, uh, one of the other numbers that Paul Dipple put out there quite a bit was the 250K of revenue per employee. I think that sort of basically translated roughly to that 80% gross margin that you kind of needed. That's the number you need to make the math work and not be in that lower 25% that's losing money. Um, and then there's also, uh, back when I was at IT, we were talking about the uh, the uh, there's like five uh, numbers that you wanted to, to make sure you had uh, at least 10% uh, year over year uh, compound annual growth, uh, at least 20% EBITDA is best in class for sure. And, you know, if you're looking to do any kind of M&A deal, uh, the acquirer typically wants to see at least 20% adjusted EBITDA on the books. Um, and so I think even if you don't plan to sell, having uh, a, those numbers in view could be helpful to understand if you're running a profitable business or a turnkey business. Well, I think, yeah, the other part of that is like, what's the smallest customer you'll take on, right? Like, you know, if, you know, would you still take on a two, three, four man shop as a, as an MSP for an end user? Like what's, or what's the lowest monthly recurring dollar amount you would, you know, take on, right? Is that $1,500 a month? Is that $2,500 a month? I don't know, Luis. I, you know, we, we certainly have created a threshold um, and it was a monetary one. And so we, we would take on a four person business, but they'd have to pay like they were a 15 person business. Uh, and in some cases they understood the value and they would do it. But we, we kind of, and it was a little bit of a thumb in the wind kind of thing, but 15 people customer was where we decided was going to be the minimum that started to make sense uh, where they're kind of shifting their own focus to, to growing their business and not trying to save a penny at every, um, at every opportunity. And so that was certainly the threshold for us with my MSP. Okay, there it is, 15. That's the magic number. Um, I think moving forward, uh, you know, said recession a couple of times, but, you know, would you, if a customer came to you and you were on the, and, you know, I don't know how you handle this in the past, Luis, because you were, you know, through a couple of, uh, of these in your time. But, you know, if somebody came to you and said, hey, listen, you know, we don't know what's coming up. We want to see if you're willing to, you know, kind of reduce services in order to help us kind of get by the turbulent period until we, you know, kind of get past the other side. How would you, how would you handle those situations? Yeah, I, you know, I don't think anybody had a playbook for that uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, you know, I've had conversations with dozens of MSPs where everybody sort of had to deal with it in a, in an ad hoc way. And we, we had customers come to us and demand, you know, that we forgive a bill for like April of 2020. And uh, in some cases we, um, we, we, we went ahead and did that. Um, we kind of put on the let's invest in the future of this relationship. And some of those clients came out stronger on the other end and have grown their businesses once, you know, activity resumed. And so it worked out. I think, um, you know, some MSPs will not be able to weather that necessarily, and uh, some verticals are really challenging. If you support primarily food and beverage, for example, you're going to definitely have a challenge um, in, where that's concerned. But 
So I, I think mileage is going to vary. Uh, for me, uh, I have found that we are very well, the MSP is very well distributed across many verticals. And so we didn't really see any particular, you know, concern or slowdown. Um, if anything, obviously projects will slow down, uh, but we kind of constantly think about, well, they're going to do them at some point. Eventually, uh, it's a great time for us to to hone our automation skills and start to to get some more efficiency out of the team when you're not busy doing projects all the time. That's one of the once we got through the crunch of doing VPN stuff at the beginning of the pandemic, we started to really focus on a little bit of that. We even got better at the automation piece and and driving some of that efficiency internally. So. Lots yeah. of opportunities, just uh, let Lindsay put on it. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, I'm curious to see, you know, in their next quarterly meeting, if you do, you know, practice that, you know, going into this last quarter before 2023, you know, just basically talking about, hey, all these projects that are in the pipeline, right? Are they still going to be there? Uh, I know a lot of people, you know, who took deposits for projects. I know that that's pretty common, right? Especially if there's external costs involved. You know, like what happens if the you know that your customer doesn't move forward with the project, cancels the project, puts a project on hold. So these are things that you can you know kind of start that discussion right now, uh, you know, going into the end of the year, so that you know you know what'll happen moving forward. You know, I think you know I think the work from home hybrid working thing. You know, I think this is here for the long term. Uh, I know, and definitely, <laughs> I think people are coming to the end of their leases, you know, now and deciding not to renew them at all in some cases or just downsizing to maybe like a shared working environment. Um, yeah. So I think that that's, you know, that's all just continuing down the line from 2020. So, you know, at the end of the day, I just think that, you know, the one thing I did read, and I literally saw the article yesterday, is that they think security spending will continue to rise exponentially as everything else flattens or, or goes down in spending uh, just because that risk doesn't go down. <laughs> it's definitely, you know, an ongoing thing. So I know security, like we beat, beat that conversation into the ground, but you know, it's a net, it changes, changes all the time. So, well, and the comment I have on that is that uh, I think this is, this is an area where we've talked a lot about, a, about this internally at ScalePad is that MSPs uh, on the smaller side, you know, the three, five, six, seven people, MSPs, um, also tend to have clients that are a little bit on the smaller size and they are not necessarily growing as quickly or they don't need as much strategic conversation uh, as a quarterly business review, for example. And so they're having yearly conversations about some of the strategic initiatives. And so the front and uh, front part of the year tends to be pretty loaded with, uh, with, you know, QBRs or scorecard meetings and stuff like that. And the challenge there is, is of course, uh, cybersecurity doesn't wait for you to have your uh, strategic meeting with your clients. And so part of the challenge we're trying to solve is how can MSPs have a more continuous type of conversation um, about anything that really needs to be worked on and be able to send that sort of uh, spur of the moment report and be like, hey, this is really a concern as of the last two months. Here's a report on this. Here's a scorecard. Here's an initiative we should be uh, planning to address in the next three months and not wait until literally January of the next year to have that conversation. So uh, that certainly is a challenge. Yeah. Last thing that comes to mind, Luis, you know, I'm sure as inflation and interest rates and all that stuff does things. How does, do you think that affects the warranty renewal program pricing or do you think that that will pretty much maintain? Uh, well, we really didn't see um, 
obviously things like supply chain are, are probably going to affect that more than anything else. The availability of parts, the availability of, um, you know, shipping even, you know, saw an increase and stuff like that. But, uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, it was fairly minimal and, you know, we expect to see price increases for those types of things. And this is another great topic for MSPs to deal with their own price increases, which we're so terrible at doing with our clients. And a lot of us end up doing years and years and years of the same, you know, even more stuff in our stack, but we're still offering the same price and we're not uh, adjusting that with clients. And so uh, trickle effect for sure. 100%. So think about that, guys, plan ahead and make sure that you have some sort of you know, I know it's a little bit of a, you know, eggshell conversation, right? Because yeah, if the economy is going down and you're raising rates, but you haven't raised rates for four or five years uh, or more, you know, you, you might need to like slowly do that instead of one large, you know, jump. So plan, plan accordingly. Luis, yeah. it's been a while. Appreciate you jumping on. Tell Eric we said hello. Uh, thanks for kind of explaining the, the umbrella over there, things that you guys do. I'm putting a little bit of two cents into things because that gives people ideas. Uh, we can find Luis and company at scalepad.com. You I got think. it. Pretty easy. And you, obviously on all the social platforms, you can't miss them. Uh, you know, these guys respond right away, which is great. Uh, you'll find this session was recorded. I know I had a couple of people jump on the beginning and ask, hey, do we record these? Of course we do. MSPinitiative.com under sessions. You'll see this one up there probably tomorrow. You guys can rewind, fast forward, send Luis your targeted questions that'll come out which I'm sure always happens. And then obviously continue coming back Tuesdays, Thursdays, one o'clock Eastern time or online msbinitiative.com. Uh, I hope that as we get closer towards November, I know not everybody's traveling, still love to see everybody down in Orlando that second week of Orlando. I know like, you know, I'll be there. down there. So, you know, let's see, let's see you guys one last chance. Hopefully <laughs> before everybody goes into hibernation, I'll have a few beers with Luis for sure. Uh, and who knows what, uh, what free shirt today was network group. I took the shirt from the UK, but you know, we'll definitely keep these going. Thanks everybody for jumping on Luis. Talk to you soon, buddy. And we'll right, catch man. you guys on the next one. Thanks everyone. All right. Bye.